amigo. Welcome to another episode of Acts of the Blood God, an independent RPG podcast. I am your host, Cat Bailey. Joining me as always, my lovely co-host, Naughty Oxford. Hello, Cat. I'm still your busty sidekick, but I learned how to button up my shirt. I found the buttons. Well done. And also, Eric Van Allen. I am the mystical Eric diving deep into the net to find the codes. Is that a good Ed impression? I'm trying to work on my Ed impression. No, that is not like Ed at all. (laughs) (laughs) Only Ed is Ed. And who is our special guest? Hey, it's Henry Gilbert. I stuffed a whole hot dog in my mouth before recording. (laughs) (laughs) And you're very charming while doing so. Yes, very cool. It's a sleight of hand (laughs) trick I have. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> yes, this is part two of our great Cowboy Bebop ranking. Previously, we got up to number 17 in Jupiter Jazz, and we had a lively conversation about that episode. We're going to just keep going, keep going through the rest of the ranking as we discuss each and every episode. Wow, I have so much to talk about. I love it. It's great revisiting Cowboy Bebop with all of my pals. As a reminder, this is a special episode of Acts of the Blood God, in which we go through and rank every single episode of Cowboy Bebop in preparation for the live-action Netflix show, from which we've mostly complained about at this point. <laughs> if you enjoy the show, well, hey, we're on Patreon, patreon.com slash bloodgodpod. And if you're already a supporter, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. And your proceeds keep the lights on here on Acts of the Blood God. You can find me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Eric is at CMOSI, S-E-A-M-O-S-I, and Nadia is at Nadia Oxford. And Henry, I'm just going to keep asking you to do this. Where can we find you? Well, I'm at H-E-N-E-R-E-Y-G on Twitter, as I love to say. And uh, yeah, you can, uh, I do two, multiple podcasts uh, a week of What a Cartoon and Talking Simpsons, as well as many extra podcasts on the patreon patreon.com slash talking simpsons me and bob Mackey, the really cool guy we talk about animation all of the time whether it is our love of the simpsons which is deep and abiding or our love for all types of animation and that definitely includes cowboy bebop which we have covered more than once in the series and uh, yeah we in- including did an almost five hour long episode about cowboy bebop the movie so uh, yeah i am a big cowboy bebop fan In our previous episode, we talked a bit about the origins of Cowboy Bebop. We talked about what makes Cowboy Bebop so special. We ran through several of the episodes. I think we touched a lot on the legacy. We talked about the theme song. But my question for the rest of the group is, what's your favorite episode of the Cowboy Bebop? The one that speaks most deeply to you. Let's start with Henry. Uh, I, I, even after our conversation last time, I still love space lion so much. Like it does, it speaks to me a ton. Like I, uh, and I love, I love the music. The, the song is, is my favorite. And, uh, after that, I'd, I'd probably go with mushroom Samba because it's just so much fun. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Mushroom Samba is an interesting one. I think we'll get into it in a little bit, maybe in this episode, Eric, how about you? This is a tough one because I think there's a difference between my favorite episode and the one that speaks the most to me. Because I think my favorite is still probably like Ballad of Fallen Angels, Real Folk Blues. Like those are ones that really like get me. And even when I was watching Real Folk Part 2 last night, I was like it was it was hitting me again in a way that I didn't think the series could still hit me. But I think the ones that really stuck with me were um, 
Hard Luck Woman really did a lot for me this time around. I think Faye's story is an underrated aspect of the series and uh, mixing that in with with Ed and Ayn and having this like really interesting it's a it's a whole episode about feeling things come to a close and having to deal with that and kind of how you say goodbye to people that mean a lot to you and that really affected me because I mean we'll we'll, we'll talk more about that later we'll we'll get into that but uh, that one and then Black Dog Serenade I think is an underrated episode as well that uh, Jet doesn't get to feature very often but when he does it's so good every time so uh, I am really tossed up between. Um... Ballad of Fallen Angel and Hard Luck Woman. Ballad of Fallen Angels is the most anime thing I've ever seen in my existence. I love it. I have listened to In the Rain like 50 times. And I actually found the I found out the uh, male singer of that song sang the Seven Se- Rings and Hand song for uh, Sonic and the Secret Rings, which is a really, really memed song. So I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> but I just love just the the setting, the, the gothic setting, the, the stupid parrot mm. or whatever the hell vicious that it has on his shoulder and the, the katanas and the, the light and the, the quick glances and it's like oh god just I won't even eat this anime stuff I want you to slip my belly open and put a funnel in there just pour it in there so that's how good it is <laughs> it's just perfect I've watched that scene like 10 times I, I swear to god but hard luck woman like I, I think I, I agree with Eric and that it's hard to say like what's your favorite episode and what's the one that hates you the most hard luck woman first of all I love uh, Ed's father <laughs> Mm, fantastic yeah. character just Only, chugging those just, eggs just chugging the eggs just standing like a brick wall like spike kicks his knee and he doesn't flinch and he's like oh okay i don't understand how you figured out sex but i understand why i oh, i ed is your is your child <laughs> and the fact that he just runs away is like oh my god a meteor's falling and what he's doing in the first place mapping out chaos because of course the landscape of earth changes all the time with the meteor showers and the exploded moon and he's like i don't care i'm gonna map it anyway because as long as i keep a map the chaos is tamed for one second but it's never going to be tamed completely so it only makes sense basically that that Ed chased after him. I, I totally understand why that happened. And you know they're never going to be together for more than a day at most because someone will wander away. But that's fine. That's what they want from each other. And but the the goodbye really, really, really hit me with uh with mine mm. chasing after her because that's like the only I, I'm sorry, what gender is is Ed correctly? I, I don't well, I think understand. that's Fluid. the question, isn't yeah. it? No, it kind yeah. of is. So the yeah. dub always attributes as as her. And so yeah. I, I default to that, but I I do think there is you know gender fluidity Ed is, Ed. is part. Ed is Ed, yeah. Ed is, Ed is Ed, beyond yes. gender. Ed what? is totally beyond Ed, gender. Ed, Ed might have been assigned female at birth, but Ed's own father said, "Yeah, I don't know, son, daughter, <laughs> Ed, daughter, doesn't matter. Both is fine. Yeah, so That's it's just wonderful. Really... It's so much better than literally anything uh, to do with Gren. I'm sorry." Mm. Yeah, I I think the common and obviously like not to venture far out of my lane as a cis straight white dude, but (laughs) I think the common reading of Ed these days is as like a non-binary character. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. But I find it very melancholy that they'll that Ed and their father will be kind of just chasing each other forever, even though they're not sad about that. I'm sure they won't be sad about that. It's just they're going to wander forever. And Ayn is going to be there. And just the shot of Ayn, uh, Ayn, geez, of Ed carrying their stuff in the sunset, just, oh, that hit me really hard. And what hit me harder was Faye drawing her bedroom and lying down in it in the in the blasted sand. That just, I, I openly cried. I'll admit it right here mm-hmm. and now. 
Well, I'm not going to share my favorite episode because that would be telling. Yeah. Because <laughs> I made us. this I made this <laughs> ranking. <laughs> I did. But the next episode on this list is one of my personal favorites, actually. That's number 16, Gateway Shuffle. Yes, it's the one with the sea rats from Ganymede mm-hmm. trying to so say cute. them. I love it. And you can kind of laugh. You can kind of be like, oh boy, here we go with the depictions of eco terrorists uh, as like flat out crazy. And it doesn't entirely land well. No, in this world no. Where I don't climate think so. change and. Uh, and animals being hunted to extinction is a real problem. And it's such a Saturday morning cartoon kind of situation. Like, And yet, I love it because it's such a high-energy episode, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Well, and also the uh, the I, their view of the Greenpeace guys are like, oh, they're all mama's boys who just yes. follow this one lady who tells them. Like the them Beagles what, boys. They're, no, they're actually... <laughs> It's very similar to the Beagle Boys from DuckTales. Yes. Yeah. I think I uh, no, I I really like the one of my favorite bits in this is as a second introduction to Faye because Faye just gets to look so cool in her first episode. You know, she's just like, Mm -hmm. oh, a badass and just waves goodbye. And and she's like, "Okay, I'll just flit in and out of your life kind of thing. And then the next time you see her, she's like "Ah," she's basically just like uh, out of gas, gonna die. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And just gets arrested by the guys who all are just like, we barely wanted to save your life. We don't care. We're locking you up like you suck. We don't like you. (laughs) Yeah, it was kind of a takedown for Faye where you're right. She she saunters into the show like, hey, I'm the femme fatale. And then she's out of gas, literally. Mm -hmm. It's I I like it because I think if you were watching the show for the first time, you'd see Spike and Faye and immediately think like, Oh, here's the, the love interest of the show. Like they're going to fall for each other. They, they do not, no, not in that way. Um, like they, I do think over the course of the show become like the, you know, they become bonded, but in a very platonic, like non-sexual way, they just understand each other as two like broken people can understand each other. But, uh, this, this episode, like I was talking about in the first part, I love the bit where you as a viewer know that this thing that Spike is holding <laughs> yes, is like, it. you don't know what it is, but you know it's really bad, potentially important, potentially dangerous. And Spike is just, for multiple scenes, beating the crap out of it and <laughs> twisting it and just like practically shooting it. And it works so well because you've got the woman sitting there too. And you know yeah. that she knows what's going on because she has that visible reaction when it shows up. That glance. And it's this good like audience surrogate of the tent. There's so much good tension <laughs> in this episode. Like building tension is something that can sometimes be hard, especially if you've seen this episode before. But mm-hmm. that moment and then the one at the end where the gateway's closing and they're trying to get out before all the missiles hit. Like and, and then you see like the after images of them fly by. It's it's a really really good episode spike just fucking shoots it i love like the woman is she's acting freaked out every time he's smashing it Mm -hmm. and then he just pulls out his gun she's like oh my god he's gonna kill us all right now but but also though like in spike is as always you know not thinking of his safety even slightly but in a way it also is a scam like he knows 
he clocked from the second he saw her that this is yeah. important to this yeah. woman and he's, and he's testing her like that's why he slips it into her pocket when mm-hmm. she leaves like because he's just pissed off that he's like oh this lady is getting away with it oh well i'll just give her this thing that she seemed to be so scared of like that that's such a great and also all the shit he did to it didn't break it so then as they're already about to be damned into a state of living death for uh, until they i guess starve to death as ghosts or maybe they always exist as that then on top of that they get turned into apes because the the thing shatters from just like a little like tink up against the wall then it shatters all the stuff spiked <laughs> into it didn't do it like uh it's it's funny it's tense it's got action it's brilliantly paced like it honestly just a solid one-off uh and i can understand why it seems like it's going to be one of the early ones they do for the live action uh and one i am kind of worried about them doing because this is like a very grand scale episode when you think about it yeah. like the ship stuff can be very contained and the beginning can be very contained but then you get out to the gateway part where they're dealing with the missiles and stuff like that and i'm kind of groaning thinking about all the green screen and cgi that's probably gonna have to make that happen and like this is where animation shines well this and and also really got to show off like cg for television animation then like Mm -hmm. was basically unheard of and that they like this is like uh, a year before futurama debuts you know and and very few anime like theatrical anime in the 90s barely had any cg you know sunrise Mm -hmm. was one of the at the forefront of it so that's how cowboy bebop's able to pull it off but like to to use the cg for you know all these like gateways and and for the faster than life travel but it still is this just for an intense super fat like it's even more than I think of one of the coolest things of this is the in Return of the Jedi, the Millennium Falcon flying through the fireball and it actually mm. covers it up and then boom right out of it. Yeah. This yeah. the the way the swordfish escapes through the tiniest pinhole of this yes. at the last possible second, like it looks amazing. It's in and and as an episode that gives you a great cool chase scene that also starts to explain what the gateways are and the incredible danger involved in them yeah yeah it 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 more builds while just also being a really cool chase mm-hmm. yeah and i have to say the prospect of being like a hyperspace ghost is actually terrifying how about no, a hyperspace monkey yeah that's even worse <laughs> hyperspace ghost monkey that's the apocalypse right there probably bebop does a better job than most of weaving it's faster than like mechanics into the actual world Right. And Mm -hmm. I mean, the fact that a hyperspace accident basically ruined Earth, right, and created perpetual meteor showers and all of that. And uh, yeah, no. And also, these wormholes exist, but not just that wormholes exist but that of course like commerce controls it like of course and and eventually like these things that should just be amazing like wow we can travel this far they eventually just become like actually very quickly become they're expensive toll booths like it's just yeah, like they oh are. it's a toll booth. <laughs> they're very mundane they're just a mundane part of life yeah yeah, yeah well you have to queue for them. Mm-hmm. Not, not at all no well, why would they spend money on upkeep of a thing if it makes them all the money? Like that impacts your profit margins. Like you wouldn't mm-hmm. do that. God forbid. Yeah, this may maybe it's a point about like privatizing needed things in society. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> the virus monkey business. Very Saturday morning cartoon. <laughs> yes, extremely, yeah. and yet I love it. It's I love horrifying. The name. 
when you see poor Harrison getting turned into the monkey, you're like, ugh. Mm. Like, that's an image that still actually stays in my brain. It mm-hmm. makes me yeah. think of something that you would see in, like, Mighty Max back in the day, which I think also <laughs> also has an episode where characters are being de-evolved mm. into monkeys or whatever. I, I think the genetics are pure nonsense, but whatever. It's okay. Quietly one of the more horrifying moments in the entire show. A mass shooting. Mm. Yeah. That also has the very playful Space Warriors music playing over it. <laughs> Definitely hits different mm. in the year 2021. Yes, it does. Oh, and the gorgeous food. I'm, I'm slip, skipping around in it now. The gorgeous food in the restaurant the, mm. when they, the oh, Greenpeace yeah. characters are eating. Like the, they, uh, the show always made food and alcohol look the most delicious it ever looked. Like I, Especially the alcohol. Like I don't drink a lot, but man, I really want whiskey right mm. now. And Man, oh, just a one. I got a special, my my Yakuza tumbler I got with Yakuza 6. It just makes me want to pour some Suntory in there right now and, and, and sip <laughs> away. And I think Jet says something at the beginning of the episode about the food as well. And like harkens back to some of that animal stuff about like, I want to say he like tries to order some imitation stuff and he's like, it's going to be bad anyways. Who cares? Or something like that. <laughs> um, this, this is one of the earliest ones I watched. I don't remember as well. Some of the more like later episodes that I rewatched, but uh, it just does a good job of setting up a lot of the, the eco um, terrorist stuff and also like establishing some of the technology because they're using the little like bounty hunter glasses that can kind of identify a target yeah. and stuff like that. Like there's, I, I always love a scene where a character is kind of peering out from the side of a bush or whatever, like trying to look nonchalant in a restaurant. I always like having, spike and jet actually try to not be screw-ups for a bounty is fun <laughs> and then still Maybe having it go it. awry anyways because their luck is terrible and that's the point of the show is they have terrible luck but <laughs> uh they're actually like doing a good job of hunting their bounty from the outset twinkle maria murdoch memorable yeah. villain mm-hmm. next up it's the episode where we have an actual cowboy Is number 15 is Cowboy Funk. It's episode 22. It's the one where Spike and Jet and company are chasing after a terrorist called the Teddy Bomber and keep having being foiled by an actual cowboy named Cowboy Andy. Cowboy Andy, one of the more popular characters in the entire series. Everybody seems to love Cowboy Andy. And who, why not? Cowboy Andy is so much fun. This is a backloaded episode for me. I think the first half of this episode is kind of a drag and I don't really like get into it. And then the second half of this episode, absolutely incredible, absolutely phenomenal. Some of the best fight scenes in the series, uh, the whole monologue that the Teddy Bomber gives at the end where he's just like, I was trying to make a point about capitalism and monoliths and like goodness. And uh, I was going to blow it up to make everyone realize everything. And then he sees Andy riding around as a samurai. He's like, oh, fuck it. (laughs) uh, But it has my single I forgot this scene existed and then it played and I could not believe I forgot the scene existed where Spike and Andy have just had this incredible fight on top of a roof and there's like destruction everywhere and the buildings falling to shambles and Andy finally seeds victory to Spike is like you're the winner after that incredible punch he just did and then the elevator dings behind him and his <laughs> horse walks out of it. <laughs> 
that scene is art. <laughs> that scene is so good. <laughs> now, I I like that Spike, who is Mr. Cool every episode, even when he gets like kind of frustrated or angry or like, you know, vicious gets him. That's all fine. But meeting a guy who is him, like meeting himself, a guy who in mm-hmm. full character design is Spike. Like he's just Spike's. They just gave him a different skin tone and hair color. Like his face is Spike's face. They're the same guy. Mm-hmm. And it drives him crazy. He yeah. can't stand it. <laughs> it's actually hates him it's so the much. opposite of uh, that King of the Hill episode where Hank finds his 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 twin his soulmate and he's like oh my god this is my friend this is who i've been looking for all my life spike finds himself as like oh god <laughs> no mm-hmm. but and and spike's big speech at the end to everybody like well actually this is why i beat him like you couldn't uh, like it just this giant lie spike is telling to himself it's the most he's lost is cool in the whole series mm-hmm. he's like really insistent on jet like keep listening he's like hey jet are you listening are you hearing me jet this is a really mm-hmm. good part of the story jet like <laughs> <laughs> uh no i and and yeah the action like their big fight i think it's not remembered as much as the other cool fights in the show because its reasoning is so silly like mm-hmm. it's just a couple goofballs fighting each other but they're 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 like battle like in on this crumbling building is so amazing like and and then yeah that it ends with the ending blow in the fight isn't spike punching him but spike being so frustrated he just punches a desk and it makes the rest of the place just shatter and <laughs> and, and andy falls yeah uh. and andy is a deeply silly character very stupid mm-hmm. but also just fun and it i think it reflects the when cowboy bebop just decides to cut loose and have fun it could be a real joy yeah it can yeah i put this into the same category as like stray dog strut and that kind of thing and and i love too that he really like andy is even more mercurial than spike like he just decides well i'm not a cowboy anymore and also my name's musashi i am now a hardcore <laughs> fan of of the most famous samurai like that and i will live as a samurai now uh and it's it's too bad that it's a show that they didn't play for you know uh after 9-11 because it is about blowing up twin oh. towers literally are mm-hmm. the two but that's a cool on the teddy bomber too he's like i don't want to kill anybody like you guys are forcing they piss him off so much that he's like fine i will kill you guys you suck <laughs> <laughs> yeah the teddy bomber wants to be really important in this episode but just cannot seem to be able to get a word in edgewise as andy and spike are going at it yeah he's just getting <laughs> progressively more pissed off I think it speaks to Cowboy Bebop's general kind of meta awareness mm-hmm. of this kind of stuff. Oh man, and him feeding Faye the son of a gun stew and her just reaction of like, what is, what is this guy's deal? Like, what, <laughs> what's going on here? <laughs> and it almost feels like the animators are like, well, it's called Cowboy Bebop. And even though Cowboy is slang for bounty hunter, what would happen if we had an actual cowboy? Let's find out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the... The uh, trailers for this one always stood out to me because it's very much a what the heck mm-hmm. kind of moment when you yeah. see the, the cowboy running in, riding in on an, a literal horse and you're going, OK, where's Cowboy Bebop taking me now? OK, I'm just going to be along for the ride. Yeah, this, by the way, Netflix and other streaming services, but especially Netflix, 
it's one thing to tell me to skip intro. It's another to be like, well, you definitely don't want to watch the credits and surely there's yes. nothing after credits. Mm. So we're, yes. you've got four seconds to decide if you don't, if you want to see it. And that pissed me off so bad. I had to tell my husband who'd not seen it before. When we watched it the first time. I was like, no, you definitely want to see the teases. The teases are part of the show. Mm. They're not even just saying like, Hey, next episode's this. That'll be fun. I'm like, no, it's not just that. I, I had to insist like, all right, I, it's, it's so much easier to just stream it on Netflix, but I'm busting out the Blu-rays because we yeah, cannot skip the, the bumpers that way. Yeah, yeah, because I actually didn't really get into the bumpers until later, and I realized, oh, these are a thing. Netflix has been just surging me forward. I mean, I love, I absolutely adore the the ending song and the ending sequence, but I didn't watch it every single time, so I, I didn't realize. Oh, great, mm-hmm. thanks Netflix. The, the trailers are essential because it's just all the characters getting in and commenting on mm-hmm. what's happening and what's going to be coming soon and the show will actively screw with your head with some yeah. of these trailers it's it's delightful no so. i mean especially after one of the your very high ranked episodes on this like it's it's post credits like are part of that episode too but yeah i uh, I I also that that post credits the the credits uh, sequence for it is so good like all of the uh, the the rose in the water like it's an indelible image of the series and even though nobody like it's 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 clear but nobody says it too clearly what you're seeing and where it takes place yeah and exactly. All that. But uh, I also love it because uh, my my pals, Ian Jones, Cordy and Toby Jones, who did the TV show. Okay, KO, let's be heroes. Uh, If you love anime and video games, that's your new favorite show. Go watch it. But uh, they they did their own version of the rose in the water, but it's a sandwich falling in the water. And and honestly, like they give it uh, appropriate gravitas. Like it's a great it's a great cowboy bebop reference they put in that show. Cowboy Funk, just a really enjoyable show. Interesting that it comes really late in the show's run, like as it's kind of starting to wrap things up. But then it goes, yeah, it's also Cowboy Funk and Brain Scratch. Just toss that boogie woogie feng shui. We have this kind of very strange run of episodes leading up to the the final, the final episodes where they finally mm-hmm. kind of wrap things up in what I would call a kind of a three episode arc. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Next up. It is the beginning of Faye Valentine's actual arc. Sometimes I think, oh yes, I'd move to where all the shooting stars are gone with all of our wishes. Yes, number 14 is My Funny Valentine. That's episode 15 in the run. And up until this point, Faye Valentine's been a little bit of a cipher. We've had some ideas of where she come from and who she is, but we don't really know her background. That changes in this episode as we find out that in fact, Faye Valentine was in cold sleep for years and that's why she was younger than she should actually look, even though she's like, what, 70, 80 years old? And also she ends up meeting George Clooney and having a romance with him. But of course she ends up getting, she finds herself being uh, grifted and that's how she becomes a grifter. It's Faye Valentine's Mm -hmm. kind of a, origin story as it were i like this episode for a lot of different reasons he's a sexy gray fox that guy and mm-hmm. there is yeah yeah when i like him the next time when you see him current today i honestly like his look there too but yeah uh, 
no, it's uh, yeah. The you that Faye is this mystery woman for you know the fourteen episodes previous to this intentionally mysterious. Like she says, like maybe I'm Romani. Like you know we we do whatever we please. We wander around to then find out that like she this this unfolding level of of scams to her like one that you find out she just like spike and jet is stuck in the past but more explicitly than them like li- yeah, literally or literally and then on top of that that she they give you what you think is like, oh, yeah, this is just a good sci-fi short story of like sad melancholy of like, oh, a man she loved and it all fell apart. And then that it all like it's a joke, like everything in Faye's life seems to be serious. And she's, you know, this noir person. And then like, no, it's actually like a big joke, like some fat guy ripped you off. They lied. They just made you they said you owed them a bunch of money, but they they actually were ripping you off too. everybody's a liar. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, yeah, the. The everybody's everybody's a grifter aspect that ends up playing into like retroactively informing so much of how Faye has been so far, especially in terms of why it probably took her a while to really trust any of the people on the bebop, even when she was working alongside them and the way that she honestly doesn't want to hold on to money like to her having money would be a problem so it's better to get money and then spend it immediately than hold on to it like that's i think there's so many little things that this episode does that i i'm not wild about all of it um the the he comes back and and he's actually fat thing i was kind of iffy on because that was like it reminded me of the thor bit that they did in avengers where i was like oh come on you're like just (laughs) this is really low-hanging fruit here but they thankfully like do one joke off of it and then move away from it immediately. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it was, I I think one of my favorite scenes in this episode is the, when the doctor and the nurse show up in a stolen police car, (laughs) 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 they have this great bit where the actual police show up and they're like, you're in a stolen car. Please report who you are now and surrender yourself to the authorities. And the nurse is just like, well, doctor, I believe it's time to leave. (laughs) They're just like, okay, peace dude have fun Mm -hmm. with this uh and they're also like so willing to just tell Faye everything like they're not keeping up the scam anymore because they already got what they wanted so they're just like yeah this is what happened we scammed you we grifted you bye Mm -hmm. we're leaving now good luck uh, and uh, one of the funniest scenes in the whole series is when she's waking up and having things explained and she's like well yeah it's like that's one of those futuristic things that's one of those she's like no 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 that's like a, a, a laundry washer and that's a <laughs> face guess, face thing yeah yeah that every everything she even the stuff she thought were like uh, the regular stuff from her sort of futuristic life and this more futuristic thing is like nah it's not what you think it's this stuff now <laughs> this wacky stuff and I also like that she, uh, you know, when when the guy gets arrested at the end, uh, the George Clooney type, he he then says, you know, very earnestly, like, oh, no, I fell in love with Sleeping Beauty. And then he realized, like, oh, she shouldn't know that. Like, she shouldn't know I actually do love her because it might it's going to fuck her up even more. So he goes like, no, 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 just kidding. Just kidding. I, I don't really love you there. It wasn't real. Our relationship wasn't real. I was just ripping you off. A dystopian take on the American medical system as well. The yeah, idea yeah. that you get in a horrible accident, you get put into cold sleep, you wake up, you're like, oh, congratulations, you are cured. All right, let's find out how much you owe. 
Mm-hmm. That'll be a couple. What was it like, ten million or something like that? Mm-hmm. Was, I think it was like thirty million because it was like yeah. the the idea of cryo sleep incurring interest was just me sitting there going, "Oh my god, that's horrible," and also going, "Yeah, that's probably what would happen." Oh, totally <laughs> exactly like what, happened. what happened. Are you kidding me? <laughs> the only reason they'd keep somebody alive to be cured later is not out of the goodness of their heart, but because they'd have like student debt times eight million. You know, yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's uh, and and as far as last shots in an episode go, Ein with eyebrows drawn on his head is a pretty good one. Yes, <laughs> mm, yes. Uh, but but I think this one to me is it's it's high up there, but it's uh, and I I love it, but it really is just set up for the better resolution episode, the resolution episode for her. Like this is just a buildup to it. It's not that it's the tease of like, okay, here's the answer of what phase background is. And then you find out it's all a lie and you still don't have the real answer. And you're just as frustrated as her, you know, the show is allergic to exposition and drawing in background. And they always want to mess with you on that front as much as possible. I have to say that one of my favorite scenes in this episode is where the George Clooney character, Whitney Haggis, Whitney Haggis Matsumoto, (laughs) (laughs) uh, seemingly dies. And she's like, oh, my God. Uh, He's like, well, he left everything to you. And she's Mm -hmm. like, I'm saved. And then like she's even deeper in debt. Mm -hmm. Like, he passed all of the debt to you now. (laughs) Good luck. (laughs) Good luck, her eye twitching and everything because that happens in real life people get their debts passed down to them uh when their loved ones die and they're like well great here we go that's capitalism for you i also love seeing her i'm just skipping around again like seeing her just shove all the food in her face when she's taken Mm. out to Mm. the meal and and in in general megumi hayashibara is one of my all-time favorite like voice actresses like ever and you know, Ray Ayanami and Ranma girl type are uh, probably your two most famous, but I'd say Faye like is, is deceptively, you know, simple for one of her characters at the start, but she brings so much more yeah. to it. Like it's mm-hmm. why I love the dub, but I always listen to the, the sub subs first on it. Cause just her, her playing of the role is of Faye is so perfect. I did like half dubs and half subs. I just kind oh. of switched back and it's, forth. It's a series, yeah. I usually like, I usually prefer subs, but it's such a legendary voice acting cast that I just had to kind of listen as well. So uh, I just kind of flipped back and forth and uh, confused myself, but had a good time. Yeah, I, I stick to dubs mostly because that was how I first watched it. And I really like some of the performances in, in the dubs specifically. But it's a series that absolutely merits rewatching purely just to hear the difference in voice acting because it is of like equal quality on both sides. And both of them are very, very good. Steve Blum does such a great job with Spike. In mm-hmm. He's perfect. Like I can hear that voice clearly in my head because I was watching it on Cartoon Network and there were certain scenes where I could hear the line in English when they were saying it. And in Japanese, it often felt like it was way more understated than the one that they did in the dub. But sometimes uh, the dub, the dub performance could really put a kind of like, (laughs) just like really push that scene, even just that much higher there. There are moments where I prefer the dub, even Mm. though both are just wonderful. I think. I mean, 
that's what localization's all about you know that's yeah. what mm-hmm. yeah i and yeah the dub the dub is great i i also associate cowboy bebop as the first series where i as an anime buyer and consumer i didn't have to choose anymore i chose it first and i bought the subbed ones because that's the type of weeb i was but when i got dvds for the first time i was like wait i can just flip like instantly i can know both at the same time like it it's so funny that that like it felt like such a treat or amazing at the time and now it's just completely taken for granted like if if yeah. something doesn't have like five language choices on netflix it looks pretty cheap you know yeah as as someone who is localizing stuff i actually was interested to see what the voice cast not necessarily added but how they took that material and worked with it so i i thought it was just an interesting study as well as uh, just a, a fun little entertainment mm-hmm Secret favorite dub moment in Stray Dog Strut are the uh, the two scientists who are chasing Ayn, and oh one of them God, just keeps yeah. going. Seems that way. <laughs> just, <Yeah>. That delivery, <laughs> it doesn't land the same way in Japanese, like even yeah. in English. It's it's terrific. That that but, person literally understood the assignment and and did the job <laughs> yeah. perfectly. As for my funny Valentine, it kicks off phase arc, which actually my favorite arc in the show i like it better than the syndicate arc or practically anything else and mm. it has that wonderful little montage with a i don't know what this, the name of the song is but the montage of Faye getting dressed up and everything and it's lovely it's a nice moment next up first episode in the series Yes, number 13 is Asteroid Blues, which is kind of a proof of concept, I think, of Cowboy Bebop. It has Spike, it has Jet, it has a lot of the elements that would kind of inform the tone and the feel of the actual show. It's also the first episode to introduce the concept of a woman being uh, who was stuck with a very bad boyfriend. And yes. it feels like <laughs> it's kind of saying something about Spike and Julia, <laughs> actually. Yeah, I think I I think Spike is very attached to the the characters in this because he is them or was them at one time. Like he's he knows Red Eye the second he sees it. Like he mm-hmm. knows what drug running is. He's done all the all this stuff. Like he's he's a man with a bad past who probably has a lot of like bad crimes in his past. But he he seems to consider himself as like fully a reborn person. He never he doesn't want his past catching up with him most of the time. But. Yeah, and, and and I mean, just so many. I'm so glad they start the show with just these two characters because there's so much you have to get used to just in the world that if you got to know more than just Spike and Jet in the first episode, it would be too overwhelming. Like, and yeah, and the show's not about overwhelming you with stuff. It's about a vibe, man. It's a it's a chill vibe, and so starting the show with a shot of just a cool guy like training and and showing off his like jeet kune do skills and then another guy shows up like hey i cooked dinner let's eat <laughs> that's great it has my one of my secret favorite dub moments actually is spike going well it's not yeah. <laughs> like, that to me like kind of like I, that that's another line that always kind of reverberates in my head like steve blum stepping directly into the role of this character who the first time you see him, he's like doing 
you know, kung fu practice and looking cool. And you see the the shot of the bell peppers being fried up in a really cool, like, animated sequence. But then Spike is profoundly uncool in the next moment where he's like, what, what that, what is this food? Right. So, like, <laughs> it sets the, the tone, I think, for Cowboy Bebop in just like the first two minutes. It's also an incredible showcase early on. I know we've talked a ton about how good the animation is in the series, but I feel like Asteroid Blues has so many little moments of good stuff. So it has the part where Jet flicks the cigarette across the room to Spike and it like flies in zero G over to him. That was I love that scene. But the part at the beginning where you're introduced to kind of the quote unquote like bounties of the episode, I was going to call them antagonists, but they're they're the bounties of the episode and the part where he has to like show that the red eye is real. And so you get this zoom in on his eye and it's twitching. It's like dead space too, where you're yes. seeing the eye like twitching everywhere. And Horror. it's like, it's a needle. I mean, it, as you learn, it's basically like a funnel that sprays it out. Um, but it's like getting closer and closer to the eye. That part is horrifying. <laughs> it made me squirm today, having seen it so many times. And there's so many just little good moments like that i love the fight between the the bounty guy the the red eye guy and uh spike where he's he's on the red eye like he's super you know jacked up on being able to see and see everything and he keeps muttering to himself like gotta keep those eyes open and stuff like that (laughs) but spike is just kind of having fun and he's in his like his poncho which i love yeah i love the poncho sombrero Uh, yeah and he's like you know you're not a chameleon. You can't see everything. You still fight with your eyes and, and you see how he like kind of figures out how to beat this dude who does have red eye, but spike has knowledge of what red eye is and has clearly fought people on red eye before and knows how to fight somebody. And he's kind of playing with him and toying with him. Was this the episode that had a, there was just a throwaway scene I loved. And I don't know if it was this episode where uh, spike is talking on the phone to jet or whatever, and the kids come up to a ship and start fucking around with it. Yes. I love that. The kind of thing that would absolutely still happen in the future. They land at a gas station, and Jet's just like, just plugging it in. Mm -hmm. Here we go. Time to get gas for my spaceship. Like, everything is just so pedestrian. You sit around, and Mm -hmm. also it it sets up smoking is so important in the show. Like, everybody smokes all the time. And and, uh, another bit I like, yeah, that fight scene is that you have this guy who's so intense, just jacked up, who also like was clearly able to kill a bunch of guys very easily when jacked up on it. Here he's facing just, you know, dancing around in a sombrero fool uh, Spike and Spike, you know, takes him to town like he he's not troubled at all by this guy. No, nope. mm-hmm. yeah. to- doesn't even use his hands most and of the time, it- just uses his legs. Yeah, and it becomes interesting because at first you're like, oh, Poncho, Sombrero, like he's having fun with the setting or whatever. But I I don't know if this is supposed to be text or subtext or what, but it, like the Poncho ends up masking a lot of Spike's movements to a guy that clearly uses his eyes to fight and uses sight to fight. So now he's he knows already he can hide a lot of the ways that he's moving and attacking this dude, and he's not going to be able to respond to it because he can't see where his fists are moving under the Poncho and stuff like that. It's it's a really well choreographed, cool fight scene that really like, like we said, sets the tone and then goes into the very, very melancholy ending that we end up getting. 
And as uh, as another demonstration of his character early on, the spike bumping into a woman he doesn't know uh, and knocking the groceries out of her hands. And then he catches her that uh, she catches that he stole a hot dog and just put it entirely in his mouth, which Mm -hmm. is I have to sell him (laughs) that. But then when she's like, just keep it for yourself. He's like, oh, okay. well, then I'll give you back the other stuff I stole since you're going to let me keep the hot dog. Cigarettes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, The sleight of hand that he does in the show is so much fun to watch because you can see that he's like very practiced and it's very fluid and it, it looks like sleight of hand and not just oh this person can make things magically disappear like a lot of stuff will do yeah he's trying to lot. convey that like it does look like he's got the kind of flowy motions and quick stuff and sleight of hand that you would actually have if you were he just good takes at that. the hot dog out of his mouth and it's still intact everything is there i think even the mm-hmm. toppings haven't been touched they're just mm-hmm. it's it's just a hot dog again <laughs> as it exists in this space. He reconstituted the hot dog. It reconstituted the hot dog. It's really incredible. And and to set the stage for what the show will be like, you you start with a bounty, which when you're in the first episode of any series, you don't these two the two the bounties of this episode seem so interesting. They could be this characters for the entire series. Yeah. But when they end up dead in the last uh, and and it's just this tragic ending for for a couple people who, you know, the woman did not deserve to die. And you just have to like the way he flies by her body. You just go, you go like, oh, this will be a show where new characters enter. They leave. Only these two guys will still be around at the end. Basically left in the exact situation they were at the start of the episode. No better or worse than before. Still, still starving for meat. I love that. (laughs) Real meat. (laughs) A few things. Shout out to the beginning. The very, like, beginning of the episode where you see it's just playing kind of a music box tune while you're Mm -hmm. seeing the, the flashes of spike uh with the the flower and Mm -hmm. the church and the the guns firing and everything and it's giving you a hint as to spike's past is actually like quite beautiful i think and really kind of sets the mood of the entire show also if you want to talk about thematic uh setting the theme for the entire show the fact that asimov and katrina are on the run they're running away yeah, and everybody in this show is on the run in some way or another. That's why it's funny that they're all bounty hunters chasing people who are trying to run away from something or other. This is what I'll uh, say though about Asteroid Blues. The reason I don't put it higher is it's kind of a sedate episode in many ways. Um, I don't think that the episode, the series, true. In my opinion, the series starts to really find its feet when Faye shows up, and then like it locks into what I really love as a show when Edward shows up, right? With just Spike and Jet, like the vibe is a little bit different. And I've watched this episode multiple times. And every time I'm done, I'm like, oh, right? Like I'm not going, Mm -hmm. wow, that was amazing. Or like, yeah, this is so great or anything. It's, It's a very good first episode. It does everything it needs to kind of tell you exactly what Cowboy Bebop is going to be. And everything but as a but as an episode on its own it doesn't necessarily make me excited to binge my way through the rest of the series which is why i like stray dog strut as a uh, kind of a chaser right mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it goes from this huh, to a like complete zany insanity <laughs> mm-hmm. right so it, it yeah. just shatters your expectations 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and last thing I'll say is it has Asteroid Blues has one of my favorite songs in the whole series, which is ELM, which is on no disc of the of the soundtracks. Just the uh, you know wordless tune of just like it's also in Ganymede Elegy. Those are uh, but it's just the tune of it, I, and that it's like one of the longer songs on the CD too. It it really is just a great one for for driving. Next up, Cowboy Bebop tackles black exploitation, stoner comedy, and lots of other stuff. It's your turn. This number 12 is Mushroom Samba. It's episode 17, and I bet there are plenty of people who put this as their absolute favorite. There are plenty of people who would be like, I don't know about this episode. <laughs> it's, um, I don't know about its actual kind of tackling of exploitation. It's kind of weird that they have a Pam Greer character in there and everything. Uh, tonally, this, sh- this episode's all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, it's also really fun to see the members of the Bebop getting high uh ed is just off having fun being crazy it is a crazy episode ultimately i i think ayn had the best time all high yep, yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. i mean the, the the yip okay yeah like that is a top five moment in all of cowboy bebop in my opinion top mm. top one ayn moment <laughs> yeah no okay i'm i'm overstating it a little bit but so- it is hilarious <laughs> I mean, there's a reason when we on uh, my uh, me and Bob, we did the podcast about Cowboy Bebop. We picked Mushroom Samba because we didn't want to do a vicious episode. We didn't want to do five. That seemed like the, you know, the obvious one or mm. uh, or one of the big two parters or, or one of the really serious ones or like period LeFou. We wanted to do a big, fun, silly one. And you know ed's biggest adventure and one that focuses on her that kind of just sets aside the other characters and puts them in a corner it shows that even when they basically put in time out the the much cooler action characters that it still is an amazing adventure show with just incredible like chases and action and and comedy and and mushroom hunting just one of the best songs in the whole series too i you know I definitely think the black exploitation stuff is done um, with positive uh, feel mm. reason to do it. Like this is done by, I believe, an entirely Japanese staff who is looking at black exploitation films just as they look at any other film genre they enjoy as an outsider, and are, is it is is expressing that enjoyment of it in the show. And I think if you were to look at other even anime from the 90s and how they portray African-American people, I think this uh, is certainly ahead of those. Yeah. But but are there some things that maybe like "Hmm, that watermelon there? I don't know. Oh, dear. Yeah. Oh, dear. There's a couple things that sure. And and me as a white guy saying these things, it's like I, I know there's better perspectives on how how it deals with it. But yeah, I think I. I at least like to think that Watanabe and his crew were saying, like, yeah, they love seventies black exploitation films that starred, you know, Pam Greer. They they love Superfly. They love all this, and they wanted to do tribute to it just as they did to all the John Woo films or uh, or all the jazz uh, or or you know German 
German philosophers like Goethe that, or however it's pronounced, that they bring up. Like I, I don't, I don't see it as too negative, but I uh, obviously your mileage may vary. I think that the reason they're doing it is because so much of Cowboy Bebop is one big tribute, right, to movies from the '60s and '70s. I mean, the last episode was paying homage to Desperado, for yeah. example, right? Heavy Metal mm-hmm. Queen was all about various trucking movies and that sort of thing. So it's not surprising to me that they would go ahead and be like, oh, black exploitation. Let's have a character who basically looks like Pam Greer. Also, they're not shy about putting in celebrities mm-hmm. from various <laughs> movies. Just oh, in the yeah. like, oh, here's Woody Allen. Woody Allen. Um, here's George, George Clooney. Clooney. Here's Pam Greer. Yeah, Why not? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, here's Shaft. Here's the Shaft yeah. brothers. Like, yeah, no. Yeah. I And... Also, too, you know, when with with what I know about how psychedelic drugs are criminalized in Japan, especially yeah. to have such an episode about taking mushrooms and, you know, tripping out it done done with seemingly some level of knowledge of what the experience is like. That feels very punk to me as as Japanese creators, you know, like uh, same with when they did a whole episode with pot in it. I just yeah. like, you know, mm-hmm. like this, you go to jail way longer than in America for pot possession for it. Like it is, it's taken way more seriously there than it is even here. You know, that did surprise me about the show that you did have references to drugs and not like, not just artificial drugs like red eye, but actual, Hey, pot, here's, here's shrooms. I mean, of course there was that big shroom trip in mother three, which is horrifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's like I was saying earlier, like I, I always see cowboy bebop as a show about cultural exports because this is like a world where earth has left earth and there are still yeah. <laughs> humans there but they've all kind of just spread out across the galaxy to wherever they end up landing and so you've seen all these things that have traditionally been cultural exports from one place to another are now melding together and combining together into this milieu of human experience and that's what this show is because it is a stoner comedy episode it is a black exploitation episode i'm convinced that I don't know if the timing is right here because I'm not that up to date on this era of anime, but I'm convinced that the dude dragging the coffin behind him is a Trigun reference. Um, <laughs> uh, and also, that is one of my favorite lines in the series where he's carrying the coffin around and he sees the guy and he's like, do you know why I carry this coffin around? Because when I find you, I'm going to bury you in it. <laughs> and then a truck runs it over. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, It's I love I love that because it's just I, I love that all the bounty hunters in the show are very like um like charismatic, I guess is what you, they yeah. they all have cool. kind of a theme. They have they do. Like, they're not just someone hunting somebody. They all kind of have to have their thing. One of the guys that we didn't talk about earlier was uh fats, I think is what they call him. But, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Spike and Jet have that whole thing of uh, Jet like calling him out and pretending to be like, oh, hey, how you doing? And they ruin him chasing the bounty that they're after and all that. Uh, but I just love how much character all the bounty hunters have. And so I really I do like these characters a lot. And obviously, again, I try to stay in my own lane when it comes to some stuff. But I do I do feel that there was like loving reference being made or at least appreciative reference being made to black exploitation films uh the jackie brown uh shaft era of filmmaking because that was again another one of america's cultural exports of the time that these creators would have been very familiar with and wanted to create so uh 
it's it's just a fun episode. It's just a really fun episode. And the way it wraps up at the end with the uh, the cop showing up and Ed makes the deal to get the shrooms instead of the dealer. And <laughs> they, um, the cop shows up and is like, oh, you have illegal mushrooms around here. And Spike walks out with them and gets scanned. And, oh, you guys must like shita- shiitake mushrooms, huh? You got a whole lot of them here. <laughs> and they end up having just eat tons of mushrooms because that they're still be hungry. But they're just like they do all the dishes of like mushrooms on ice, uh, fried mushrooms, like mushroom like Mushroom a la dessert. mode basically like, yeah that i like yeah that faye faye and jet are just straight up lying to the cops like what mushrooms never heard of that and then mm-hmm. in walks spike still blitzed out of his mind holding <laughs> a bag of mushrooms i i mean as a character moment to present all three characters it's such an amazing like little thing of Ed has a bag of mushrooms. She wants to test them out on the guys after uh, oh, Ayn has a bad so reaction. Good. So yeah. she places one mushroom down and you see how each reacts to it. Faye looks around and is like, hey, is, is somebody okay? This uh, Nobody's going to stop me. I'm st- I'm taking this mushroom. It's mine. Jet sees it and goes like, this can't be happening. What What's going on? well all right i guess i'll eat it and meanwhile spike makes it a game like he just walks by pretend he doesn't care but he swiped it in his little sleight of hand and he reveals like yep i got it nobody even caught me And (laughs) what it's just uh, one of those so many great moments that express character through action in this show that's so good it's not somebody saying spike you're the type of guy who would steal something that was given to you for free like he just fucking does it nobody has to say that to him i am not a stoner i'm very straight edge i uh have never dropped acid or done mushrooms Mm -hmm. yeah um in the pantheon of uh you know hallucinatory moments i think that cowboy bebop's representation of the characters getting high is pretty uh I, I shall say sedate. It doesn't go too crazy with it, but I am a fan of Ed just wandering around, watching them, observing them all, uh, having the, re- the reactions to the mushrooms. You see that to Faye, she's like, I'm underwater and there are fish everywhere. And her just standing in the closet being like, swimming. <laughs> <laughs> swimming. After going to the toilet many times because she ate bad food, like mm-hmm. yeah, I know mm-hmm. I for me my um, uses of pot I usually have in the rare moments of it. I've had Jet's reaction of just like sitting around and going like, "Yeah, right, the world's like that." Wait, what was I saying? Like, yeah, just... that's more or less my reaction. <laughs> yeah. I have to say, off topic for just a brief second, the best representation I ever saw of a, a drug induced. Uh, a hallucination was Gravity Falls, and it was for two seconds where Mabel is riding on the dolphin named Ayoshima, and the dolphin like opens his mouth and and arms come out and arms come out of the arms and it starts screaming in like a car alarm sound. I'm like, whoever <laughs> animated that scene knows exactly what is up, and it's a Disney cartoon. That's my favorite thing in the world. No, it's just a sugar high on fun dip. It's just a sugar no, high. it's <laughs> it's innocent. Yeah, they, no. they, onward, Ayoshima. I love the Looney Tunes aspect of it too, of like putting the mushroom out one by one to to mess with each one of the Bebop members and mm. seeing what happens afterwards. There's like so much neat visual imagery for Ed and Ein in this. I love the scene where 
uh, Ed gets on the scooter and puts Ayn in the backpack and then they just take off and you get that like shot of them just rocketing across the desert and like speeding through the yes. goggles and everything like it's a good Ed episode a lot of good Ed moments in this I think that it's like Ed stumbled into an entirely different movie mm-hmm. and it's just like like these characters are all doing their own thing and then Ed's just kind of around and they have no idea what to do with them like when Ed's in the tr- the trunk of a- and the cops like discover and are like uh interrogating the Pam Greer characters like I, what the hell like like this isn't part of the movie this wasn't in the script mm-hmm. what are you talking about? I was like hunting a bounty and it was like really cool and everything um but also the final moment the the scene where Ed is standing up was it was on a train right like that's my mm, recollection mm-hmm. and it's doing the super zoom zo- zoom in with ed wearing the goggles and going <laughs> 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 yeah. like I, yeah. you can't see me because this is an audio medium but i'm like got my hands out in the claw claws and she's baring her teeth and everything that is a it's a it's a good ed expression i like it but yeah mushroom samba it's just a very zany episode uh the the person I was watching with didn't really know what to make of it ultimately, and I was just like, "Yeah, it's just it's uh it's just Cowboy Bebop cutting loose and having some fun and doing some tributes to uh '70s stoner flicks and black exploitation." What can I say? Also, Ed's in it. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> but it shows how special Cowboy Bebop can be. That it has this wild tonal whiplash. The episode before it is Black Dog Serenade. The episode yeah. after like this is speak like a child, like, and they all fit, right? Each episode's like, yeah, it makes sense within the context of this world. Why not? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. now they're hunting mushrooms. Sure. Wow. What a show, right? <laughs> Next up. Hey, it's our introduction to Faye Valentine. Number 11, Honky Tonk Women, episode three in the run. Actually, one of my favorite episodes, quietly. Like, when I was watching Cowboy Bebop, I was like, as I already said, I saw Asteroid Blues and went, ah, yeah, it's an episode. And then Stray Dog Strut, of course, is a fun caper. But then Honky Tonk Women is where it feels like the show is starting to come together. It's starting to find its voice. And I think it's no coincidence that that's when Faye shows up. It's one of those episodes that keeps escalating as we go up and they're like, yeah, okay. So we've got like, what was it? A hundred thousand becomes like 500,000 and they're counting their money. But of course everything goes wrong. There's a great zero G fight scene in there where there are so many moments happening at various points. <laughs> Bay busting out of the, uh, through the shutter in the hangar. It's like the most Lupin ass episode of the series. Yeah. Yeah. Like it is. Yeah. 
the the two leads go to a casino to try to get some money and then they stumble into the a femme fatale undercover and it leads to them fighting a bunch of gangsters and it's just it, it unfolds from there and and Faye is at her most like sexy and mysterious in this it's before we know what a like goofball she is yeah uh and and yeah i mean as far as first meetings go like i love that it's all just a case of mistaken identity like she it's Faye fucking up again like for the first time but she she thinks spike is the guy she's supposed to hand off the uh the chip to while meanwhile spike knows exactly who she is which is a cheater who's like cheating him the entire game and he's like eh, whatever all right i'm out of here and and his natural sense of knowing what she wants and just going like no i'm not giving that to you you've already ripped me off like i'm i'm keeping this one chip it's what you really want i'm out of here yeah the bit where he's like hey look i kept quiet while you were cheating that whole game <laughs> and mm-hmm. Uh, I also love that part of the reason the mix-up happens is that the monitor under the table or whatever is busted. Yeah, it was <laughs> hilarious. Like, it's such, again, we talk about like the mundane things, but like how often does that happen in that a Star totally Wars or something happen. that like, just oh, the technology is just shitty. Yeah. Like yeah. when when the technology is shitty in this series is is when it's really, really good because it is all this cobbled together it's all cobbled mess. cobbled together with yeah. like, yeah gum and a string <laughs> yeah and, and as far as an introduction of like Faye, the first shot is her you know she's smoking and wearing her you know jacket and her sunglasses and then just pulls out a machine gun and just blam just, blam, <laughs> yeah. just uh, yeah what a badass it has one of the con- storytelling conceits that drives me crazy when she's locked up in the bathroom and her, she's got both of her hands handcuffed and she's like oh can you just at least allow one hand away so mm-hmm. that I can like get some freedom and Jet falls for it. What the hell, Jet? Yeah, he tr- come on, Jet. You know he it. trusts a pretty face. That's his day. Like Spike doesn't. Like Spike's uh, seen all these pretty faces. He doesn't care. Like he, uh, Faye never tricks him. Like she never pull, pulls it off. But, but yeah, Jet's too trusting. I mean, by the time in a later episode when Jet loses literally every stitch of clothing to Faye and the thing, it's because he <laughs> oh he God. trusts her too much that she's not cheating. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He does have that kind of heart, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Those moments where Faye will just end up being like, she actually is the the wise grifter, uh, and she's like, which one is it going to be? Which dice? And he's like, uh, even odd, even even <laughs> is it odd? Is it? And of course, she is like completely effing with him with the the trick dice and everything. But um, Faye is a great contrast to Jet and Spike. And I was reading one of the retrospectives about it. And it was talking about how Jet and Spike are intentionally seen cast as these world weary characters or wearing dark clothing and everything. And then you have Faye come in who everything about her is loud, right? Like her clothes are loud. Her personality is loud. And she just instantly comes into conflict with these characters. I mean, her first meeting with them is basically as a rivalry where they're trying to get the money and it's going back and forth between them. And you, you, she's like a, uh, she's cast as a frenemy almost from the very start. And that's how she kind of remains through the rest of the show. It's like this character who somehow ends up on the ship and just ends up staying and then leaving and then staying and then leaving. <laughs> you know, she, 
Yeah, uh, again, she's with the a cat she, metaphor. She's a she's this energetic force in the storytelling that I think really kind of kicks it up a notch after the first two episodes. I also want to shout out like we haven't talked about it yet, but like the visual design, especially the outfits that every character wears is oh, they're great. so good. So perfect. And uh, like, you know, Spike's got a suit like very like Yakuza style, like X syndicate. Like he's still got the kind of the the suit look, but it's his own now. It's a little bit more casual and it's he's, you know, sleeves rolled up sometimes and stuff like that. He's a fighter. Uh, Jets is very ex police, ex military. Like Faye is just fashion, like just the Faye the is cool, just loud yellow, like, yellow yeah. is just yellow and red face. clashing against each other, and definitely like playing up her sexuality as well. And then Ed just has the most like free form, fluid movement, allowing like a crop top and basically like spandex pants and and no shoes ever, mm-hmm. uh, because Ed's always just being wavy and moving and stuff like that. It's I little things that I noticed again when the live action was coming around and they were showing off some of the outfits. I was like, there there was a lot of like really shitty talk about some of the outfit stuff mm-hmm. that I won't get into. That was just really shit. But I do think one of the things that does stand out is how it made me realize how stylized those outfits are. And they seem subdued in the anime, but then you see them on people and you can really see how each one embodies a look for a character. Like you see yeah. like green hair, kind of a purplish suit with rolled up sleeves and you're like, Oh, Spike Spiegel. And yeah. you see that yellow uh, top with the red jacket and you're like, Oh, Faye Valentine. Like it's very, very well designed. And when Spike puts on his trench coat, something's going to die. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. That's no, you serious. know, that's when he's serious. The costume changes are are yeah. also so good and fit so well and, and usually convey some sort of like interesting meaning. And again, Spike's jacket in Jupiter Jazz. I can't get over it. It's yeah. so good. What does the big puffy pink jacket represent? It's 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 the His fit. Soul. He's got he's got the fit. <laughs> well, it's him. It's yeah, I mean it uh it's the layers he puts on himself uncomfortably when dealing with like trying to think he's gonna meet Julia, but he's he's not sure of it. Like uh, there, mm-hmm. that's what I'll mm-hmm. say it thematically represents. There but, we go. Good enough. Um, not also as as an action set piece. A zero G outer space handoff of the money in the yes. for the chip yeah. in the moment. Was, like yes. and, and the realistic, the the level of realism, I won't say realistic, but higher realism for, for a sci-fi of, well, yeah, he has magnetic boots on and he, you know, otherwise he'd go floating off into space. So he also can't like, it's not the same as like, oh, somebody's in a spacesuit, So they just walk around like they're somewhere else, but there you have a spacesuit on. Like, no, that's mm-hmm. not how it works. It's shockingly sophisticated sci-fi for the late 90s. It, it doesn't is. just crib from other stuff that comes from before it. I mean, obviously it has its influences, but it feels so original in a way that stands out, especially from the fair that was around at that time. I mean, this is the heyday of Star Trek on cable in North America, right? And I do think that Cowboy Bebop has more influences from Japanese space anime and that kind of thing, which is always, despite the fact that Gundam and Macross in many ways are inherently you have to accept certain conceits that are ridiculous have always been, I want to say more grounded than a lot of shows because they have like zero gravity and they tend to stay within our star system. And they try to explain how all of these ridiculous things work. But uh, when I look at 
Cowboy Bebop, the amount of thought that they put into individual mechanics. But then also it gets crazy sometimes. Uh, <laughs> the show contains multitudes. But so, sometimes there's a monkey virus, you know. Sometimes there's yeah. a monkey virus. <laughs> a monkey virus. <laughs> it's when it gets its most anime, I think. But yeah. I, I agree with you, Henry. Like the Zero G set piece is wonderful. And actually, for me, one of my favorite moments in the series is when uh, the the enemy pulls out the gun and he shoots and Spike is gone. And then the camera pans and he's already like up and he mm. pushes down and like attacks and the, the jazz soundtrack kicks in because this is when Cowboy Bebop always knows exactly when to kick in the soundtrack. And mm. then it always sends the uh, the energy of a particular scene like really up because that's the thing about Cowboy Bebop. It's understands perfectly how to use the quiet moments where you have no soundtrack at all and the moments that are much more bombastic, right? It's uh, really good in that regard. Yeah. Uh, another visual I love in this episode is uh, Spike, you know, he's walking around the uh, casino, which to him is nothing. He's not nervous about losing money. He's like, well, I'll be as lucky as I'm going to be, whatever. But when he when he walks by uh, a TV or just a screen showing an old samurai movie that seems to be silent era because it then goes to a screen of all the dialogue, that's just this great international feel continuing for Bebop where it shows this footage of the, the samurai guy talking and then up comes the screen that says what he says. And it's Japanese, English, Mandarin and Korean. And it's just it shows you it tells so much about where this is here because not only are they watching the old movies. So it means like, well, the past existed as you remember it. And now though, when they show these old movies at this place, the four languages they, they are localizing it into are Japanese, English, Mandarin and, and Korean, which says that it's, you know, that's the audience who they expect to be there. That's internationally what they expected in, in this setting. So interestingly yeah. enough, the first uh, country that it was released in was Italy. Mm, really? places, which oh. is sort of not surprising to me because Italy actually got a lot of the like 70s mecha anime like apparently Mazinger was really big in Italy it, Italy also loves uh, Lupin it loves mm. loves loves so much so that they I believe Lupin part 5 is in, in part funded by the Italian government oh, or, wow. or an Italian company. That's and same, amazing. And same with uh, kind of Lupin-ish show, uh, Sherlock Hound from the Lupin team. That also was a Japan-Italy uh, uh, co-production as well. Lupin was such a European show, too, in so mm -hmm. many ways. That's why I totally get why it translated so readily over there. But yeah, no, it ended up being in Italy as a an introduction to Faye, I, I think there's a lot of enjoyable moments in this particular episode. I love the moment where Faye uh, is in her ship. She's looking down on Spike. She's like, "Hey, cowboy!" And Spike's like, "Hey, Romanoff," or whatever. Like, I, I'm <laughs> yeah, messing Romani, up the yeah. I'm messing up the uh, the actual cadence of the scene, but it's one of my favorites. And then she picks up the suitcase and goes, "Bye," <laughs> and flies away. <laughs> And you think, well, there got screwed again by this femme fatale. I'm sure we'll never see her again. Nope. <laughs> then, next, next episode. episode oh, no, <laughs> she's out of gas. And they're just left with one chip to like, well, let's mm. see if we can like, yeah, he says, I guess we have to build up again from square one. Just like, again, bat left to where they started. All because of this, you know, hunky tonk woman 
here who robbed them and they they trusted yeah that but just like that guy who's carrying around this the coffin the entire time thinking he's gonna have a really cool moment and then fate makes him look not cool and look stupid Faye gets this really cool person accent like man what a mysterious cool lady she's gonna be and instead next time you see her it's like nah no she's she (laughs) has a lot of problems she loses her cool a lot and never gets to look cool when you see her again, not only is she stuck in space without gas, but her her ship is a mess. It's just a mess of wrappers floating around from like yeah. the yeah. food, and she's yeah. clearly out of everything. And what? she's hit dis- desperately hitchhiking. Hey, can you pick me up? Drives right by, doesn't even stop. It's <laughs> great. The, the show has no problems with showing you how uncool its characters are at yeah. multiple points, and that makes every character like so much more relatable because they are <laughs> trash monsters, just like the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. And at the end of every single episode, they always do the little see you space cowboy, except sometimes they did a little flourish. And this one is easy come, easy go. Easy go. <laughs> mm-hmm. I enjoy that. And on that note, it's the end of part two. Yes, we're going to do a part three. Hey, we got 10 more episodes of Cowboy Bebop to talk about. It's got so much more to cover. And I'm also out of time. But <laughs> we got the first two episodes going to be available right away to our patrons. And then we're going to have episode three available next week so please look forward to that we're gonna really get into the best episodes of the series in the meantime thank you so much for listening to part one and part two of our great cowboy bebop ranking having a blast with this retrospective thank you so much to eric so much thank you so much to nadia and thank you so much to henry who of course you should go listen to talking simpsons what a cartoon their deep dives into all of the cowboy bebop magnificent some of the best stuff you will listen to about oh, animation thank you oh yeah i mean yeah and uh, h-e-n-e-r-e-y-g on twitter and is where you find it but yeah i mean and right now we're doing this um on our patreon of uh, our 10 favorite uh episodes of batman the animated series hell so, yeah oh yeah. we're, I we're having oh. a lot of fun with that I wish I could have been on that. I saw you promoting the Grey Ghost episode. I'm like, oh, Mm -hmm. classic. Oh, that was classic. That one turned out to actually be my favorite that we re-explored. Though still, I wouldn't call it my all-time favorite episode of Batman, the animated series, but it's close to it. And it's the best looking one. It's also extremely anime. And uh, that's what I like about it, too. Yeah. Number one is Tiger Tiger Burning Bright, right? Oh, no, Ken, uh, don't say that. That's that's a reverse number one, I'd say. <laughs> it was the last on the list. That's where it that is. sure is the episode where I watched it. I was like, I sure hope this doesn't awaken anything in me. <laughs> Catwoman already herself is sexy enough, and then she becomes a cat woman. <laughs> yes. Well, you can follow me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia's at Nadia Oxford. Eric's at cmoosi, S-E-A-M-O-O-S-I. We have our weekly episodes every single week, and if you're a patron at the $5 level, you can get them a week early and ad-free. We'll be back with more Cowboy Bebop rankings really soon. But until then, for Nadia, Eric, and myself, oh, and also Henry, thanks for listening. See you, Space Cowboy. Oh, I